goes along with it and, and lays the foundation for it because I want you to know you're blessed today, all right? You're blessed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it says this in Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Isn't that great to know? Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you will be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children will be like olive plants seated around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord will bless you out of Zion and see all the good from Jerusalem in all the days of your life. And yea, may you be able to see your children's children. May the peace of the Lord be with us. Let's pray. And Father, as we prepare to dig in into your holy and divine word, this is a story that goes all the way back to getting ready for the crossing into the promised land after those 40 years in the wilderness. Boy, this dates back 3,500 years. But your word is alive and powerful. It is living. And it's designed to be just as evident and just as prosperous for us today as it was in the day it was written. And you knew that we would be here studying this portion today. So, Father, I ask that you bless your word that you anoint it this day with your Holy Spirit. I pray that we can understand the blessings that are in Christ, the blessings that you have for us, the way that you watch over us, the way that you protect us, the way that you love and care for us. And so as we read this and we uncover a deep mystery of the word of God that you hid. Father, I love your scripture that says that it is the glory of God to conceal a thing but it's the honor of kings to search out the matter. So, Father, I pray today that you'll be glorified by what you've hid and that we will be edified by the mystery that we uncover this day. And we ask this, Father, of the blessing of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you ready? Are you there? Numbers chapter 22 is where I'm going to be. So if you turn to Numbers chapter 22, I'm going to start with Exodus. Uh, I want to lay a little bit of history for you as we get to where we are because God's going to take care of these folks and he's going to watch over them. But I want you to know that just like you and I, they, they try to pitch their camp together. They try, to, they try to do what's right, but a lot of times our flesh gets in the way, doesn't it? A lot of times it, it just really, whatever, we talked yesterday about being meek and how that... Well, you lived in the house until you was almost 21 years old and they never raised their voice, your mom and dad. And the meek shall inherit the earth. I, I, ain't, I can't be that way. <laughs> Man, I try, but there's times that, that life and my flesh gets a hold of me and my voice goes up a little bit. You know what I mean? And that's what, that's what we see in the children of Israel. I mean, look at this. The Lord said to Moses in Exodus 32, get down there. Get down to those people. You're up here getting my word for them. And they're down there putting together a molded calf out of gold. And they're worshiping it and they're sacrificing saying, This is the God that brought them out of Egypt. Go, because I have seen this people and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. I mean, that's the Lord God talking. He's saying, get down there. 
These stiff-necked people. Look at what they're doing. My wrath, let me alone. Get out of here, Moses. Get down there. Let me alone because my wrath is burning hot against them and I might even consume them. So you see, there's times that we try God just like we get tried by our own kids and by our own families and, and by our own friends. And it does that. In, in the next chapter, the Lord said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. That means you're stubborn. You won't listen. You won't do what I tell you to do. And then in, in Deuteronomy 9, 6, he says, Know then, as God is, is taking care of us, giving us everything that we need for, for life and godliness, giving us our breath each day. He says, but know this, it's not because of who and what you are. It's not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is going to give you this good land, for you are a stubborn people, because it's all about who and what God is. It's all about his character and about his word and his promises that he keeps them even when we don't and we go off. He cares about his people, and he provides protection for them. Now, God, what I want, to, want you to know, God may spank us. When we go outside of that and we start doing what we want, it might be the Lord that spanks us. The Lord will discipline us to try to get us in line with his word. But whenever the enemy tries to do it, this is where his protection comes across to us in Christ. And that's, that's the key I want you to understand. It's God might do it because we're his family, but he's not going to let the enemy now because he sees Christ in you because we are in Christ and he protects, he provides, and he prevails for us. And he sees it in the word of God that we are studying today. I hope it reveals it to you in a very marvelous way. So now let's get ready to examine Numbers 22, if you're there with me, open up your sword, the word of God. And the Israelites in chapter 21, they're getting ready to, to, to camp, to go across into Jericho and to cross there into the promised land and begin their conquest there. And as they're camped out in the land of Moab, as they got there, there had been two battles, Sihon and Og. They, they had defeated both of those armies and now they're camped out. And there's somebody, there's, there's a, somebody watching from the mountaintops. You know why they're on the mountaintops? It's, it's Balak. And Balak and the Moabites are on the mountaintops because Sihon and Og had defeated them and ran them out of their plains that they had lived in and up on the mountains where they could try to protect themselves. That's why they're up here. And now all of a sudden, Balak is looking down and there's this people that has come out of Egypt, that has spread out all over the plains like the sand of the sea. There's about two and a half million Israelites here right now. And they're all spread out in his valley. And you know why now he's even sore afraid? He's more afraid than he's ever been? Well, think about logic. Those two armies defeated us. These guys defeated them. So they're even more powerful than the people that defeated us and that... Bless you, Ray. They're, they're, these guys are more powerful than the ones that defeated us because they defeated them. There's no way. What if they decide to come up after us? So Balak begins to get afraid. He's like, I've, we can't do it, so I've got to call on a supernatural power to protect us. 
You know, we in Christ rely on the power of God to protect us in a supernatural way. Folks that don't know God relies on the powers of darkness to begin to protect them. So that's what we're going to see. Balak now, he's, he's up there and he's looking and he says, I need some help. So he's going to go in Numbers 22, 1 of our text. Moses and the children of God are camped out in the plains of Jericho. And the unseen enemy is lurking above and they're all spread out before him. And he says, I need help. So instead of going to the Lord, he turns and says, I know who the rock star of sorcery is. There's this man named Balaam that his reputation is so spread that he is like the rock star of all the sorcerers. And if you look up there, it says in verse 6, he sends his emissaries to him and says, Please come at once and curse these people for me that I might be able to drive them out because I know that who you curse is cursed and who you bless is blessed. You see, he had a reputation that he could do that. His dad, as it begins to talk about, his dad was one of those. He was the top sorcerer of the day. And now his son is exceeding him. His reputation is spread. But what Balak doesn't know is, is that Balaam is, and, and this is preview of coming attractions, okay, for next week. Bring a friend and tell him, hey, we're, we're going to be talking about Balaam, who used to be a rock star in, in the occult world, but he became a child of God. We're going to see how he wrestled with life. Next week, we're going to take this into some life lessons, Lord willing. And, and from this story, today I'm going to move through it quick because there's something else I want to share with you. Next week, we're going to make applications to life about this. But he's became a new Christian. Balak didn't get the word that this guy has accepted God. And we'll see a couple of those scriptures today. But there's six points on why he has become a child of God. But he's a new Christian. And what happens when you're a new Christian and you get tempted to go back into your old life? It gets tough because you're new. And if you think about it, you've got a king saying that you're the best at what you used to do. And I will give you a king's ransom if you will come and help me and I can promote you. I can give you a castle full of silver and gold. And what's that do to you whenever you're new in Christ? You talk in temptations, yeah. And that's what we're going to see next week about how we, we got to battle that kind of thing. But that's what's happening. He sends for him and he sends his messengers and said, I, he butters him up. I know you can do it. Your reputation is spotless. Come and help me to get out of the jam that I'm in. So he goes in, in, uh, in verse 7. The elders came with him with that diviner's feast. So they had money in hand to give to him. And he turns around in verse 9. He, they, he strikes up a conversation with God because Balaam tells him, Hey, I've got to see what God wants me to do now. You see, he's, he's been born again, but he's new. And he says, You guys spend the night. I'm going to go talk to God. And we're going to find out what he wants me to do in this situation. So in verse 9, it says that God... And Balaam have a conversation, and it goes like this. God said, Balaam, who are these folks? Who are these folks that are staying here at your house? And he says, well, these are the king of Moab has sent these folks to me. And they said that there's this people from Egypt that's 
came out of Egypt, and now they're in this country, and he's worried about them, and he wants me to go and curse them. Lord God says in verse 12, here's what I want you to understand, because that was God's people that was camped out down there. Okay, look, verse 12, God replies to Balaam, you shall not go with them, you shall not curse the people, for they are what? Blessed. I want you to know that that's talking about you and I. We're putting ourselves in their place this day. We are blessed. And he says, you can't go. You can't curse them. They're blessed. And so he goes and tells them that. And they, they leave. They go to Balak. Balak gets mad. He says, I'm going to send more better emissaries. These was the elders. He's going to send some princes now. He's going to send some of his top folks. He's going to send more money. And long story short, he's going to go with them. And we're going to learn about that next week on, on our applications of life. But on the last time, he finally, he goes with them. And he goes there and he's trying to curse these people. And um, he's first taken up on a mountain and God doesn't allow him to curse them. He sees the entire camp out there and God gives him an oracle of blessing. And Balak gets mad. He says, man... I'm offering you all of this money and wealth and fame and power in my kingdom. And I told you to curse them and all you're doing is blessing them. You're blessing the people I told you to curse. And he said, didn't I tell you I can only do what God told me to do? So he tries again. If at first you don't succeed, what? Exactly. And Balak does not. Just like he didn't give up on the first time when he sent the messengers. He sent second messengers with more. Now he's like, okay, let's go to another mountain. Maybe if you don't see all of them and how big a group this is and you only see a part of them, maybe now you will find the courage and God will give you a word to curse them instead of to bless them. So he goes up on the second mountain and God moves him into another oracle of blessing. He comes back and he says, Now look, O Balak, hearken unto me and all of you princes. God has said he's going to bless these people and he gives a spiel. <sighs> Balak is fighting mad. He said, Don't curse them or bless them. I told you to curse them. And if you can't do that, don't do neither one. But don't pronounce a blessing on those people. But if at first you don't succeed. Third time. Maybe the third time's a charm. We're going to go up on another mountain. And maybe this third time you'll see it. But now I want you to notice what happens this third time. Chapter 24, if you're there with me, starts out like this. The other two times he was getting ready to use his sorcery. But now he's come to his senses a little bit. And he says, you know what? I realize that God doesn't allow me to curse him. That he's been blessing him. So it says this time, whenever... He sent the guys off. Balaam saw that it had been pleasing the Lord to bless his people, Israel, and not to curse them. So this time, he didn't go like the other times to, to seek a curse. This time, he says this. I want to see, Lord. I want you to open my eyes so that I can see why you only want them to be blessed and not cursed. Lord, You've, you've changed me, and now I see your power is more than the powers of darkness and what I used to be. So allow me to see what you see. 
Wouldn't you like to be able to do that? Wouldn't you love to be able to see what God sees all the time? And he prays that, and he stands on the edge of there, and he, and he says, I want to see what you see, Lord. Why are you not allowing me to curse them? That's in verse 2. I want to see Israel as God sees them. He raised up his eyes on the encampment according to their tribes is what he began to see. Now, when it says in the Bible that he raised up his eyes, and sometimes it's he lifted up his eyes, usually that means you've been in kind of a prayerful relationship, and the Lord is getting ready to give you some inspiration, give you some knowledge, give you something so that an understanding of the situation that you're in and going on. And that's what begins to happen with Balaam here is, as he's praying now, said, Lord, I see that you, you want to bless him, but why? What is so special about these people? And it says, as he lifted up his eyes, he saw Israel encamped according to their tribes. Israel, now note it, they are camped according to their tribes in the way that God has told them to be camped. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Balaam and he begins blessing the camp of Israel. And I want you to look what he says down there in verse 5. When the Lord opens his eyes to what God sees from above like he is on this mountaintop, it says this, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, and your dwellings, O Israel. You are like a garden by the riverside, and aloes planted by the Lord, and the cedar trees beside the waters. This kingdom will be exalted. And he who, now what did they used to say about Balaam? Who you curse is cursed and who you, not anymore, is it? Look at what Balaam has come to realize. Blessed is he who blesses you and cursed is he who curses you. So it's turned around now. So he, but, but what he is seeing is what God sees in the encampment below. And what it is is they are camped. They are camped according to their tribes. And that makes their tents beautiful. Would you really like to see what God saw and what he revealed to Balaam? To do that, you're going to have to bear with me because it was explained in this very book. If you started in chapter 1 and you read and you really had the mystery revealed, you'd see exactly what God does. So we're going to uncover that mystery. Turn over to chapter 1. Go to the first part of this book. Keep all of this in mind on what they're doing because whenever he opened his eyes up there in verse 15... Look at up there, he says, at the very bottom, he says, I now, this is the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the man whose eyes have been opened by God. The utterance of him who has now heard the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High and who has seen the vision of the Almighty. God has opened his eyes up to see what God sees. And he says, what did he see? I see him. Who? Him. But not, he's not here yet, but he's coming. But he's going to be a king. And a scepter is in his hand. He's seen the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't he? He's seen the one that's getting ready to come in years to go to come. That's what God opened his eyes to. Now, as, all, as we go back to chapter 1, he sees the king and he sees him coming. And he sees how beautiful the encampment is. And we go there and we're going to find out that when numbers began, it's called the book of numbers because it's all about numbers. It's all about taking the census of Israel, of their army, 
the armies of God according to ages 20 and up of all the men who can go to the war except for the Levites because they are the servants of God and they don't go to war. And he says, I want you to number them all. So these first three chapters is about the camp, how they camp, and about the numbering of the tribes. And it says, as you get down there to uh, verse 46 of chapter 1, that the total number of the men of war is 603,550 men. So that's not counting Levites. That's not counting women, children. This is men of war was 603,000. That's why we know that if you count women, children, everyone else, and Levites, you've got almost 2.5 million people that are sitting down there. So now verse 50 tells them a little bit about their campsite. In the middle of the camp is the tabernacle that God had them to make. So in the middle of the camp, who should be the center of all of our worship? God and Christ. And so the center was the place of worship, and the center had everything in it that represents Jesus Christ. Everything in that tabernacle represents him, the light of the world, the bread of life. The altar of the forgiveness of sins. Everything represents Jesus. And it's in the middle of the camp. You beginning to see what Balaam saw? That's why I see him, he said. So in the center of the camp, it'll be that. Chapter 2, he begins to tell how the rest of the camp is set up. You go to chapter 2, verse 1. Here is the way the camp is set up. Here's how you're going to do your encampment according to the numberings of your tribes now. There's going to be, since there's 12 tribes, there's going to be three on each side. There's going to be to the east, to the west, to the north, to the south. Three tribes in each one. And in verse 3, on the east side, so you've got, you've got the tabernacle in the center. Nobody can go northeast, northwest, southeast, southwest. It's east, west, north, south. To the east. The rising of the sun is the standard of Judah. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that's the first one. Next to Judah is Issachar. And then in verse 7, next to him is Zebulon. And then it says that they will pitch their tents in verse 9 on the east side of the tabernacle under the flag of Judah. And their number is 186,400 men to the east of the tabernacle. Then on the south side, verse 10. On the south side is the standard of the camp of Reuben. With Reuben will be Simeon, and then comes Gad. And the number of the tribes in the standard of Reuben is 151,450. Don't get bored. There's, there's, there's a reason God put this in here. And in verse 17, in the middle, you have the Levites and the tabernacle of God. And the congregation from which each standard encamps from it. And then it says in verse 15. On the west side is the standard of the forces of Ephraim. And with Ephraim is Manasseh and Benjamin. And the number of their standards is small. This is the smallest tribe. 108,100. And on the north side of the tabernacle is the standard of Dan. And Dan has Asher and Naphtali, and the number of their standard is 157,600. No one camps northeast, southwest sort of thing. It's north, south, east, west. Notice, 
the two opposites of east and west is the largest and the smallest. Judah on the east side was 186,000. The one on the north side is almost a little over half of that at 108,000. The two tribes that go to the sides, to the south and the north, were 151 and 158,000. So they're kind of balanced out. But there's a difference between the other ones. And so then, your grand total in verse 32 of chapter 2 agrees with the one that was in chapter 1 of 603,550. And look at a very important verse as the chapter closes out in verse 34. It says this, Thus, as God instructed them, the children of Israel did, according to the word of the Lord God that he commanded Moses, so they camped by their standards. And when they broke up camp, each man and each camp broke up one at a time and followed their families out. So now I want you to know, like it says there in chapter 24 now, when where we were at, when Balaam lifted up his eyes and said, Lord, I want to see what you see. And it says that he saw them and camped exactly the way God had told him to camp. You know why God did that? You know why God puts all these numbers and all of these little things in here? A lot of times I read those things and I want to perform a religious service called the Passover. <laughs> you just want to pass over all of these numbers, don't you? It's like, why is that important? I'll tell you, the Passover passages are usually your most important ones if you understand why they're there. You remember the genealogy in chapter 5 a couple weeks ago? There's something just as exciting about these monotonous numbers in this encampment. You still want to see what Balaam saw when God opens his eyes, showed him what he was looking at? Look at this next slide. That's the camp of Israel. What's in the middle? Christ in the tabernacle. But look, to the east, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon. That's the largest. The two sides are about equal. The shorter one's at the top. What was God looking at when he saw the camp of Israel? The cross. My eyes still water every time I think of this. God hid within his word the beauty of why he numbered the tribes the way he did and set them just exactly so, so that they would form a cross. And so whenever the enemy, when the enemy tries to come up and to curse the camp below, do you think if they were camped in any other way that they would have been camped other than what God told them to do, that they would be uh, strengthened and protected? Probably not. But because they encamped according to the word of the Lord, even though they were stiff-necked, even though they had their times, even though they weren't always acting right, they were still trying to camp the right way according to the word of God. And when you're... Remember last week we introduced Hebrews 10.25 that says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort each other as you see the day approaching. You know why we assemble together? Because when we come together... We form not just the cross like they did in an actual encampment, but we are the body of Christ. 
So whenever we assemble together, God doesn't see us and see our flaws. He sees that we are encamped together as the body of Christ. So whenever that enemy stands upon the top and says, Curse those people, no power of hell, no gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. You remember what he said? He said, Upon this rock I will build, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All the cursing, all the stuff will be turned to blessing by the evil one. And again, the Lord may spank us a little bit because of what we do. And he has to put us in line. But the evil one has no touching upon you when you are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful blessing to know? I mean, folks, you should all be kind of jumping up and shouting right now because the same thing that's happened there was put there for our learning and for us to know as an example that when we are in Christ, we are protected, we are provided for, and God does not see who and what I am, but he sees the cross of Christ when he looks down from that mountaintop. How do I know that? I'm glad you asked. Let's go to the... To the next slide then. Because in Galatians 2.20. Man. Underline this one in your Bible. And remember it. And believe it. I have been crucified with Christ. That's the cross. I've, I've been there too. I died to him. That's what baptism is for. Whenever. All baptism is. And I want to explain it to, to everyone again. We got some more folks here. This is where you meet Jesus at the cross because it says that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day for the forgiveness of our sins. When we believe in the operation of God, we'll see that in the next verse, in the next one we go to, we die to self. We say, I believe in what he did for me. I die to self. I am buried with him in baptism. I am arisen again with him in a newness of life. And now I am in Christ and I am clothed with Christ. We saw last week and being clothed with Christ. What he sees is the cross in us. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But Christ lives in me, not me anymore. But he lives in me in the life that I now live in this flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who died and gave himself for me. Now look at this next one. If we underline that one, let's, uh, let's double underline this one. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 10. You are complete in him, in Christ. You were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands because you put off the body of sins in the flesh by that circumcision. How did I do that? Well, being buried with him in baptism... You were raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we've been made alive together with him and he has forgiven you of all of your trespasses and your sins, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against you. And then it says this. If in, is my next slide up there? Did I, yes. There wasn't no ending right there. Because there wasn't chapter breaks. This is a continuation of I've been buried with him and forgiven and been raised with him now to life. 
And then it says this, circle this. This is precious. It says, not only am I complete and raised up and forgiven, it says, when I have done all of that and been raised through faith, since then that you have now been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where he is seated, set your mind on things above and not on earthly things, for you died and your life was what? Now hidden with Christ. It's hidden in Christ. So why could Balaam not curse the children that were down there? They saw the cross. They had become in Christ when they all throughout their life of faith. Whenever they left Egypt, what was on the doorposts and the lintels of the house? The blood. The blood of the lamb was applied. And so in faith, they, they were now in Christ, just like what we are. And it says, your life is hidden. God, don't see it no more. It's hidden with Christ when you do that. I died to that old life. And you can't convict me of that no more, Satan. You can't curse me. So I am complete. I am hidden. And he's working with me. And now my life is hidden with him. And here's a promise, promise of God. We will appear with him in glory. Praise God, right? Do you see now why the hidden things in the word of God, the numbers, the genealogies, there's so much meaning behind them, the mystery whenever you unfold them. God numbered them perfectly, switched the tribes around, and this is how you will be because every time I look down from heaven upon that camp, I want to see the cross. I want to remember why I'm blessing you and why I'm protecting you and why I'm providing for you. And we have those same blessings in Christ Jesus when we believe in faith. So praise God. Our praise team comes on up and we get ready to close out. To me, I don't know about you, but that's one of the most beautiful hidden mysteries in the word of God that there is. And it provides some of the most powerful promises to us of who and what we are in Christ and it wasn't about me it's about the character of God now protecting me we've died and risen once you know that if you're here this day and you have not obeyed what we just read and we've died to self and been raised with him again it's not me I'm just got to tell you what the word says you're not in the camp you're, out, you're outside the camp because you haven't decided to be inside the camp, to be in Christ. So will you not make that decision today? I, the way things are going this day and age, I would not want to leave this day and not be in Christ Jesus. Join the camp. Come on up this day. We've got the water warm. I've got clothes and towels for you. If you have not made that decision, please be in Christ today and get that protection for you. And those of us who are and have been, praise God. I now realize that in this day and age of where there's all kinds of problems and fear mongering out there, I don't have to be afraid. My steps are numbered. <laughs> God already knows the end from my beginning and what I am, and I'm not worried about it anymore. Before, I was. 
But when I realize who I am in Christ, I'm not. So leave this building today knowing I am in Christ and my life is hidden with him and nothing's going to happen to me unless God blesses it. And if he does, then I'm going to be there with him. Paul said that, you know, it's greater for me to be there, but I guess I'm, I need to be here. It's expedient for me to be here with you. Man, one day, can't wait to be there, but right now it's expedient for us to be here. But if you have a decision to make today, please make that decision while we still have time as we stand and sing this song of encouragement.